This podcast is not intended to provide any investment advice. The opinions expressed here by either the hosts or guests do not necessarily reflect the views of PSA, Collectors Holdings, or any of their affiliates. Any discussion of collectible values in the past or present is not a guarantee of future performance. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the PSA Pod. Ryan Green, Steve Sloan, Jack Archer joining you once again from HQ here in Southern California. And we uh, we have really loved interacting with our growing audience here on the show. And we want to start off the show today with a bang. We want to give uh, give we want to give back to our listeners right off the top. Got some plastic in my hand. You can kind of hear, hear it. it. Not scratching it, not scratching it. Steve, what do we got? Well, very topical rookie cards from the best wide receiver in the NFL, according to me, Devontae Adams, uh, obviously in the news with his trade to the Raiders. So we've got two 2014 Flair Showcase, uh, row one and row two, so two cards, uh, both graded by PSA, mint nine, uh, ready for giveaway. Nice. So we've described these cards. You can see them by heading to Twitter, at PSA card. The uh, go look for the tweet from our account promoting this episode. The PSA pod logo is located next to an image of these two cards. And you can see right there how to win. We want you to retweet the post promoting the episode and give us a follow on Twitter. And you are automatically entered to be able to win one of these two bad boys of the new Las Vegas Raiders star receiver. So Steve, we got to talk about this a little bit because uh, you are our resident Raiders fan here at PSA and our resident Derek Carr collector. So how are you feeling about it? Uh, I mean, I'm feeling amazing. This is fantastic. I just, I'm uh, just waiting for Vegas Dave to, to start a new round of uh, Derek Carr hype videos and we'll see what happens with that this time. Maybe he won't sell him all of his car cards, but uh, for what it is, I think this is actually a great opportunity for, for collectors. Whenever there's a big trade, it kind of, rattles the bushes a little bit in terms of product mm-hmm. and new stuff starts popping up online, which is what I like about it. I like, I like to know that uh, I might have a chance of securing one of those cars I've been looking for forever, but now because it's in the news, like one, somebody who has it might actually list it. And so for me, it's, it's cars, 2014 tops, Chrome rookie card to 25, the red, I've uh, been waiting and, and looking and there's only one on eBay, but I'm not paying that price. So maybe another one will pop up here. That's your so. red, that's your red whale. Yeah, my red whale. Boom. All right. So let's, we always want to tie it back to the cards. So, Jack, start us off here because we want to talk about how this, uh, this trade now, just once again, fortifying the AFC West is the best division in the NFL. How does this trade affect the card markets and the outlook on cardboard for both Devontae Adams and Derek Carr? So, I immediately jumped on eBay, jumped on the different uh, online sources mm. to, to buy cards. And the car market is a lot hotter than I thought it would be. And uh, the cards are a lot more expensive than I thought they would be. And the I know, right? Ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that's especially interesting to me, though, is how low the pops are. He's in, this, he's in that pocket of uh, seasons where um, the pops are just really low, especially for Prism. His Prism Silver rookie card, I think, is pop twenty four, pop wow. twenty five, somewhere around there. So if uh, if if Derek Carr does what some people like Steve 
and pretty much only Steve thinks he's going to do this year. Uh, those those cards are going to be pretty coveted, and they're just not going to be showing up. But what really is the uh, the kicker for me is that the Raiders believe in this guy. He's on a pretty solid contract, and uh, they they're just surrounding him with weapons between Devontae Adams, between Hunter Renfro. Uh, Josh Jacobs, Darren Waller, like that's a that's a team, like that's, that's a, heck that's of a, a list. That's a unit, and uh, obviously he's in a crazy division. Obviously the AFC is just stacked, but I, I don't know if, if I was a Raiders fan, I, I feel pretty optimistic right now. There's gonna be a lot of AFC West in prime time next year. Oh my goodness, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. It's that's- just like how the Yankees and Red Sox are always on ESPN. It yeah. should be the same thing. And, and it's great for collectors of, of Mahomes, of Russell Wilson, of, of Herbert, of Carr. You know, getting those guys in primetime exposes uh, their talents to more more people. So I like it for for collectors. That's kind of how I look at it. I, I kind of see, in terms of Carr, I kind of look at it. And I look at this I look at it this way for Russell Wilson, too. And we talked about this last week. I'm kind of in, maybe I sound conservative, but I'm kind of in wait-and-see mode. Because this is now, I mean, that's a great lineup that you just mentioned that they have in Silver and Blackjack. But like, they still got to play Patrick Mahomes twice a year. They still got to play this new loaded Chargers defense and Justin Herbert twice a year. They still got to play Russell Wilson twice a year in the Broncos. So I will say this: like, whoever comes, it's going to be a real shame who finish whoever finishes in last place in this division because they're going to be better than several division winners in the league. But what a bump that is going to be in hobby appeal for whichever kind of star players and especially quarterback comes out on top of the heap, especially next season. It reminds me a lot of the NFC West going into last season. Yeah, You had the Cardinals. Everybody was hyped on Kyler. You had the Rams. Everyone was obviously very high on, and, and mm. rightfully so. And uh, the Niners, everyone was going crazy for their defense and Debo Samuel and that whole thing. And then they had the Seahawks. And I kind of feel like it's going to be Russell Wilson in the basement yet again. Man. You said blackjack there. I did. And, I, and, and, and I, I just want to point out, Derek Carr, number four. Devontae Adams, number 17. Add them together. You got 21. So let's go. Let's oh go. Synergy. <laughs> oh, boy. You think the universe is giving you a Super Bowl appearance next year, don't you? No, I'm not no. going that far. Okay. <laughs> I have way too much scar tissue to, to be thinking that big. All right. So before we get into some more uh, trending topics here, um, we do want to bring back the PSA News Updates segment. Um, two things here. One, we want to talk a little bit about our backlog update here at PSA. Steve, what do we got right now? So we're now under five million. We're in the fours, which is good. We're not popping champagne just yet. Obviously, mm-hmm. got a lot of work to do, but it is progress. It, again, it peaked at about twelve and a half million. So the fact that we're down in the fours at this point is huge news. And um, you know, I think we, we're seeing obviously now still uh, quite a few customers who are, are patiently waiting um, because of the huge influx of orders that came in in late February, early March of twenty twenty one with. Um, uh, with the popular of the hobby back then and, and kind of the rush to integrating. So um, we're still committing over 80% to the backlog uh, and our operations really dialed in getting as much out as possible um, from those um, value lanes. So it's, it's a work in progress, still pushing it through, still tracking for, to have it to down to what is essentially zero by the end of the summer. So speaking of tracking our second news update, we <laughs> want to get into that. here. <laughs> your segues are on point today man it's early um <laughs> we want to touch on something else uh that we've been kind of noted about or alerted about from our operations department um as we all as we said before we like to educate customers on the best way to 
most safely and smoothly get your collectibles here and get them processed. Right. So this is a new one for me. It's yeah. actually, it's a really great innovation uh, in terms of using GPS trackers to track your shipment into PSA for security purposes, right? Obviously theft is on the rise. More people recognize that cards are worth money and um, they may be targeted from time to time. So FedEx, for example, has a, a product where they'll include a GPS tracker tag with your shipment in at, to PSA, for example. And that allows you to just have some certainty and assurance that the item is where it's supposed to be. So these have been starting to show up not only from FedEx, but from the personal uh, trackers that people are including in their shipments, like AirTags, for example, from, from mm -hmm. Apple. Um, we have some rules that we want to just make sure our customers are aware of as it relates to these when they're coming through. So the first is that if you use the FedEx trackers, which I, I think is what we would recommend if you're going to go this route, they will be returned to FedEx within 24 hours. So that is um, within 24 hours of arriving to PSA. Okay. So that's kind of the, the best option. If you send in your personal tracker, though, just be aware of a couple of things. One, we're going to contact you within 24 hours of the order being unboxed here at PSA with the option to have that tracker returned to you. Uh, you will be charged a separate return shipping fee as the tracker cannot be held at PSA and then shipped back with your order. It's a logistical issue. It's a security issue. We just aren't comfortable holding on to your air tag, for example, for an extended amount yeah. of time. It's going to come back to you. That said, if we uh, if you don't respond to our, our email or from our rep within 24 hours, we're going to discard the tracker. And um, if you don't want to pay for the return shipping, we're also going to discard the tracker. So think about that when you spend 30, 35 bucks on an AirTag um, before shipping it in, if you're comfortable losing it in, in the event that you're not actually um, looking to pay for return shipping. So it, I like the, I like where people's heads are at in terms yes. of security on the inbound shipment, but just be aware of these, these rules. And these can be found on our communication page, psacard.com slash communication, if you want to review them. Again, something to keep in mind as you go. Very good info. And that is uh, that is very sharp to be utilizing those. We've we've talked before on this show about um, you know, patch package security, and you know yeah. people's heads are clearly in the right place, and people are savvy with it. But we just want to make sure everybody's doing it right. Yeah, I mean, if you have the ability to have return shipments sent to like a FedEx security shipment um, center, for example, I would recommend that. Like, yeah, you know, people buy like engagement rings off Blue Nile and sites like that. They're always required to go to a FedEx secure facility. Well, cards are getting to that range, right? Mm -hmm. So as opposed to just having it left on your your front porch where, you know, in the era of COVID, you know, there's some corners being cut by delivery services and not everything is easily to be tracked. Um, it's important to take the little extra precautions and ensure that you have your cards delivered safely. Okay. So now kind of shifting gears, we want to, like we said, we want to talk more hobby topics. And, you know, one thing we've talked about here between us of wanting to do um, on this show is bringing the conversations that are happening here at collectors and at the PSA headquarters to this show, because um, you know, it's collectors here at collectors for the most part. And we have so many people here who collect baseball with a passion and it's where a lot of our roots are as collectors. Um, that being said, we want to have a little bit of this or that talk um, bringing a couple of popular topics from around our offices here that collectors talk about onto the show and to you guys for you to chew on, think about, maybe discuss with your friends in the, uh, in the hobby. And we're going to start with the eternal debate here because I've, 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 I'm really excited to bring this to the show. Vintage versus ultra modern. And with how collecting has really come back to life and also morphed in these last few years, Jack, this is, this is a, 
Is there a wrong side on this debate? I mean, no. There, uh, the thing with this debate is you, there's only one right answer, and the right answer is collect both uh, yeah. because they both bring very different things to the table and they appeal to collectors in very different ways. Uh, I'm, I'm mostly focused in modern myself, but I'm intoxicated by a lot of the vintage stuff. Mm -hmm. and, and really the thing that interests me the most about vintage is that when you, when you pick up a vintage card, slabbed by PSA, authenticated by PSA, graded by PSA, it feels like a piece of history. Mm. It feels like an artifact. It feels like Indiana Jones found this. It might only be 60 years old, 70 years old, 100 years old, whatever it might be. It, it feels like you have a moment in time in your hand. It feels like it should be in a museum. It feels like it was like a, like uncovered by like a archaeologist or something. Like it, it, it's special. And uh, there's like a, there's a, a soul to it. There's a, a certain kind of, of rarity that just feels so, so, so natural and uh, uh, unmanufactured. And to me, that's really appealing. And I think that's what appeals to a lot of collectors, too, that gravitate most of their collection to the vintage side. So we made a list of kind of reasons to collect vintage, reasons to collect ultra modern that we've kind of gleaned off of the conversations that are had around here uh, at our offices. So I want to run through these really quick uh, on each side. And I want you guys to tell me which one kind of stands out to you as the strongest argument for collecting that genre. So let's start with vintage. Number one, it is safer money and investment wise. Um, the thinking being that players who are retired or have passed can't get injured uh, to affect their card market. It's safer emotionally. Player, favorite player not changing teams. You kind of, as Steve put it, you set it and forget it. Nostalgia. It is, uh, you know, that's something that proved to be king and was a major driver in the hobby's resurgence during the pandemic. Set building, uh, set cataloging for those who know, you know, those who want to know what the objective is as a collector. And as Jack was saying, vintage cards are more akin to a work of art, a piece of history. That was a great way to bring this in. Now, let's dive into these others. What really stands out to you? I'll go. So, so for me, I'm um, I'm obviously a very emotionally fragile person. So I'm gonna go with your safer emotionally, right? Okay. All right, right. So what I'm what I'm talking about here is like the hobby for many of us is, is an escape. We have a lot of you know issues in our day to day lives where we can turn to cardboard as a, a way to escape, and I don't want that being interfered with with modern events, trades, injuries, things like that. Like I just want it to be. In, in its place and know that it's always going to be there as a as a as a resource for me to just escape to so um nobody's changing teams as a fan of the a's are you kidding me i can't even buy a jersey for my team of a personalized one i have to have always blank eternally unless i want to go back to like ricky <laughs> henderson so there's no way i'm going to do that with my cardboard too um for the purposes of this argument <laughs> so um I'm, I'm gonna go with it safer emotionally and um i think just you know the fact that i can look at a 1969 tops mickey mantle card and see his entire career stats that is what it's all about for me that is um comforting it's funny you experienced the entire range within a matter of like one week because the a's lose matt chapman and matt olson but then your other team gets the best receiver in football so you it, it, you literally experienced the entire spectrum in like seven days I, I have to object right here. Yeah. Okay. Shout out Cooper Cup. He's getting no respect. Every single person <laughs> is just saying, 
Devontae <laughs> Adams, the best receiver. I love Cooper Gup. And uh, he's a player, and he proved last year and in the Super Bowl that he's the real deal. And he, he belongs in that conversation. Fair. Okay. No, that's very fair. Uh, I do want to touch on the the nostalgia yeah. part of this, too. I So, like, when I first started collecting, it was in, like, the mid-'90s. So, for me, my nostalgia is for the cards that I couldn't afford with my allowance because mm. all I was ripping was, you know, upper deck collector's choice and, yeah. you know, that that kind of stuff. But if you grew up in a specific era, uh, era or opened like a hobby box on Christmas and you got like the set really appeals to you, I think nostalgia is like a really, really big factor into this that some people consider and other people don't. Totally. That's, the, you know, when I started getting back into the hobby, that was a big thing for me. I, I, I totally agree. It was going back and getting the cards from the 80s or 90s that at the time, like my allowance wasn't going to get me. And now that I was a working adult, I could I could have means to that. Yeah, you guys want to know a really heartbreaking story? Of course. I uh, <laughs> it was like late '90s, and I, I saved up a bunch of money, and I went to the the local card shop. It was this place called Rookie of the Year, mm. and they had a, a first edition Hollow Charizard just like sitting there, fifty dollars. Right, I just felt oh. like felt like so much money, but like I, I I had I had the cash, and I was like going back and forth. I ended up going with this autographed Jeff Cirillo card. <laughs> <laughs> uh it was on like the rockies and he played for the mariners later and it 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 haunts me to this day and uh yeah every collector has scars and now you have you have laid bare yours for our entire audience i you know it's it's funny steve kind of on the coattails of what you were talking about with the safer emotionally i want to go back to the first one it's safer investment wise in terms of the the market you know waving and crash you know and crashing based on injuries like someone um you know i I, i've seen people tweeting about it in the past week with like fernando tatis around that news of the wrist injury keeping him out for a few months about how you know pokemon can't you know break their wrists or you know guys who are retired can't suffer a torn acl i mean it's Mm -hmm. it's the reality of it and shout out to the charizard can't tear an acl uh (laughs) Sure, that's a, that's a, that, that, that that's a uh, cult legend. So it's well, the, this transits this this uh, transitions us though into the ultra modern side of it because um, you know talking about Fernando Tatis Jr. Jack and I both collect Tatis cards, so let's run through a few of the of, of the pieces here on the why to collect ultra modern side, and let's dive into those. So. You know, number one, if you watch sports, how can you not be drawn into the emotion and the excitement of tracking your guys, your collection, live on the court, live on the field? The thrill of the chase and, you know, the quote-unquote winning feeling you get when a guy you believe in and you've bought cards of succeeds and that, that, you know, meter goes up. Uh, The eye appeal and innovation, which is, you know, cannot be understated. The technology behind cards now. And of course, the wait and see approach of, you know, you open a box of Bowman, you save all the first Bowmans, and then five years later, you don't know who, uh, who you may be having sitting in that box back there. So what stands out to you guys as the reason to go with this genre? I mean, for me, I, I'm puzzled by collectors that exclusively collect vintage, but are also hardcore sports fans. Mm-hmm. It would just be so impossible for me to have the discipline and the maturity 
of having like my my 1960s baseball cards and then watching John Morant dunk on people and just go absolutely crazy and be like, ah, I don't want one of his cards in my collection. Like, I'm good. I'm all right. I, I just, it's so opposite of how I am as a person. And I just, I, I enjoy sports outside of cards and just how they connect is really one of the things that interests mm-hmm. me the most. Yep. You know, you can draft Patrick Mahomes on your your fantasy team, but unless it's like a hardcore dynasty league or something, it's just one and done. But you can get his rookie card at the beginning and and uh, because you believed in him and and watch his career closely and 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 feel connected in that way. So for me, I I love I love having a collection of of players I get to actively watch and root for um, that aren't necessarily tied to any team, but are, are just are just players that are like on my team in a way. I, I'm I ride on, on the coattails of that. I'm I love the quote unquote thrill of the chase angle of it. You know, the idea of of believing in a guy and, you know, jumping in the deep and maybe not even jumping in the deep end, but, you know, collecting that guy and then that feeling of, you know, the quarterback you believed in watching him play in the Super Bowl. Like imagine people who bought Joe Burrow cards, you know, when he tore his ACL and they're like, I really believe he's going to come back and the next year you're rewarded with watching him in the Super Bowl run. Like that's that's an intoxicating piece of the hobby and I think it really can't be understated. Yeah, I mean I uh, I was buying really really inexpensive Tyler Hero cards summer of 2020. A perfect and example. All of my buddies in the hobby were rolling their eyes at me just like poking jokes and then he went off mm-hmm. in the uh in the bubble leading all the way up to the finals and it was honestly one of the most satisfying things in the entire world. Uh, just because I got, I got, I got so much hate for it. I got, I got, <laughs> I got poked fun out about it. Like, what are you doing with this Tyler Hero collection? And then he, then he went crazy. Mm. And uh, it was, it was fun to see. And it's, 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 it's a good moment when stuff like that happens. So I'm on the, on the other side of that kind of same experience with the wait and see approach. Like, I like opening wax, especially when a new product comes out, and then squirreling it away. And then, <laughs> like, in the moment, like, not fully recognizing or realizing who. It, who inside these packs is actually going to be the one to pop in, in a couple of years potentially. But, you know, after listening to last week's episode back, I obviously got to go back and check how much Kyle Tucker I have from 2019. Uh, shout out to Jack for, for the hat tip there um, on, on Tucker, but oh, the same thing with like Randy or Rosa other guys like that who kind of came on a little bit later where yeah. they weren't like uh, necessarily the guys you were chasing right out of the product. So, I mean, Tom Brady's example. Yeah. Eh? Yeah. yeah. And think about like, if you bought, you know, 2017 Bowman and you have Fernando Tatis cards stuffed away and then you go look in that box in 2020, you're feeling pretty good about it. And you know, that talking about, we we've brought his name up a couple times, you know, talking about the innovation and, and, and all this and the, and the, the eye appeal of new cards, you know, Jack, you were talking about something really interesting with someone you're working on uh, or working with on the magazine, on, on the magazine side about, uh, Fernando Tatis, I believe it was a 2020 Topps Chrome Gold Rookie Cup refractor. And this kind of spurred another debate that we were having, talking about, you know, digging a little deeper here in the this versus that, the on the baseball side, the rookie card versus the rookie cup. And this like led to such a fascinating conversation. We had to bring it here. Yeah. So shout out Ryan Porter. He's he's uh, helping us with the magazine. He recently bought a gold refractor second year uh, 2020 tops chrome Fernando Tatis short print. It's the one he's got the shades on. He's 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 hanging over the dugout. Mm. It, it's a, it's a it's an incredibly cool card. And I was instantly jealous of it. Seeing it in person 
and knowing that one of your one of your buddies, one of your colleagues has it. It's mm-hmm. like, oh man, I I want that card. You can't find that card. You just can't. Uh, and it really had me thinking. It, it goes for about the same price as the as his 2019 Topps Chrome Refractor Rookie. So between five hundred and six hundred dollars. And you can find a dozen of those any anytime you want. Yeah. But this specific card, which is worth about the same amount of money, you can't find. And it just really makes you think like long term is is the better addition to your collection, the rare second year card or rare veteran card of any sort or a semi-rare rookie card. Okay. Well, let's riff on this for a few because I think <clears throat> you really hit on something there with the the second year card. And this applies across all sports genres, but you know, I can, I can relate. I, I know I have some second year to T stuff that kind of fits in that bucket. And, you know, Steve, this goes back to um, a conversation we had about goats, like goat level players in their sport. You know, you talk about Mickey Mantle, like a 1956 tops, you know, in a high grade can have just as much like, oh my God factor as like a low grade 52 tops right they're they're yeah a goat is a goat and yeah so kind of dive in on that a little bit well i mean no matter where you are in the player's career i mean obviously the earlier the better um Mm -hmm. you're obviously going to get uh increases in value around uh the player so i think like the huge run-up everyone was looking at jordan 86 fleer but guess what happened to 87 fleer 88 fleer um you know we're where you see it trickle into the other areas of opportunity where collectors get priced out of rookie cards. Um, that kind of, to me, takes it to the vintage side of things. When you're talking about um, all-star rookie cards mm-hmm. or rookie cup cards, you know, the interesting twist, I think with a lot of hall of fame baseball rookie players is that they share their rookie cards with other, with other players who maybe aren't as notable. Like mm-hmm. I look at Pete Rose, for example, 63 tops is um, his all-star rookies card. I'm sorry, his rookie stars card. And, um, you know, it's, it's a cool card, obviously a tough grade with, with the color, uh, layout of, of the card. But I was really surprised when I looked up the pop compared to his 1964 tops all-star rookie card. And I, I want to ask you guys, just, uh, what do you think the difference in a total population between those two cards are? If I threw numbers at you, it's a hundred card difference. It's a thousand card difference. It's a 10,000 card difference. I'd probably go in the middle around a thousand. Yeah, so it's only a hundred card difference between his rookie card, his true only recognized rookie card, and his all star rookie card, uh, sixty four wow. tops, which tells me something. It tells me that it's it's just as popular, but way more affordable. And so, you know, maybe it has to do with the fact that he's sharing his rookie card with guys like Al Weiss or uh, McMullen, the guys like that. But um, it's also just Pete Rose. It's like you can have a, have it for a slice of the price. You're you're looking straight into in, in Charlie Hustle his glorious eyes and and you're like this is about as good as it gets in terms of not yeah. being able to afford uh, a rookie card perhaps in the true format and that applies to other guys too like thurman munson who shares his rookie card yeah his 71 is is super popular um it just it, it's 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 things like that for well, me what would you rather pull out and show off to your friends a, a pete rose card of him and four guys or pete rose on his own yeah that's a great point and i i always i always like to look at other segments of the hobby to compare it to 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 baseball for instance or, or football and a lot of the run-up lately with numbered refractors and 
in basketball is crazy. And yeah. this stuff is extremely coveted. I was looking at the 2003 Topps Chrome, Kobe Bryant, Gold Refractor out of 50, PSA 10. Obviously, 2003 was LeBron's rookie year. So the, the design is iconic. But that card uh, recently sold for $23,000 and change. That is a lot of money. That is more money than the vast majority of his rookie cards, even, even his rarest rookie cards. Yeah. And obviously, Topps Chrome will always be special in the hobby. Obviously, Gold Refractors will always be coveted. Obviously, 2003 is a very iconic year for that set. But still, that number is kind of crazy. And I feel like outside of Tom Brady, a lot of football players and a lot of baseball players, the, the veteran stuff, the second-year stuff, hasn't really caught up to, to how hot uh, a lot of this stuff is in the basketball card community. Yeah, and you know, Jack, you also brought up a great point. You know, we can close on this. The the PSA pops, you know, that, that's something we are obviously looking at. The PSA pops on, you know, second and third year stuff. And, and then you obviously layer in the numbered parallels. But just the PSA pops, you know, you, there's really, really interesting opportunities as a collector when you get beyond the rookie year stuff. Yeah, the, the Tatis I mentioned at the top, the gold refractor, short print, uh, rookie cup, pop seven. His regular refractor tops chrome is pop fifteen hundred. Wow! Uh, so that's that's a very that's a very big difference. And and for me personally, I like knowing that I'm owning something that me and six other people in the world yeah, have, and that's yeah. it. Oh man! Well, we could talk about this for hours. We're not going to, but we're going to have a lot more to dive into when we're back next week here on the PSA Pod. And worth telling you right now, we will be coming to you from our new studio next week so NBA, NBA Jam Studio NBA Jam Studio we're gonna is that have, confirmed yes it is let's get it we're gonna we're <laughs> gonna we're gonna dive a little bit more into that and show you and and kind of tell you a little bit more about what's going on so that's just another reason for you to jump back in with us next week here on the PSA pod guys can I add just one thing before yeah, we of go course. submission events confirmed 20 cards per again and so we're rolling with the the same no change on the submission events on Tuesday and Thursday uh 12 eastern noon i'm sorry <laughs> 12 eastern nine pacific awesome we are rolling and we are going to have some fun stuff once again for you next week thank you again for joining us